Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. My name is Alex Croson. and I'm one of the hosts of this show, and I am alongside always... Casey Clapp. I was waiting for you to say my name. Sometimes I, sometimes I tee up, and sometimes I tee myself up and for you. you hit a home run. Yeah, tee ball. We're playing tee ball? Yeah, yeah. It's really easy to get a home run because if you just are like, you know, you just hit it a little bit. Away from a child, yeah, they just cannot get to it. Of course. And then by the time you're at second base, they've thrown it 35 feet. They have to run, pick it up, throw it again. Yeah. And you usually score. And then your parents are really stoked. Everyone's really stoked. You know. There, there's, there's always. I've always had one problem with children's sports, and that's when they're too slow and they're too short. Yeah. Seriously, honestly, I mean, they're not athletes. No, children are not athletes. <laughs> Stop encouraging them. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Sit them down in front of a computer and have them just figure out how to play a game. Yeah, the Alex method. <laughs> Alex, I actually don't support that method. Well, you know, we all have our interests. That's true. While I, you were playing your sports I and things. T-ball, yeah. Yeah, I, I also play, you don't may not know me about uh, <gasps> this about me, but what? I... I played soccer and t-ball and uh, basketball as a child. And you didn't, you didn't like any of them. No, I hated wow. it every moment. And then I always said, then I discovered music, and it was like game over. I just like uh, yeah, quite that's, literally. That's all I did for you know the next twenty five years. Yeah, it's pretty reasonable. I hear you're pretty good at it. Yeah, I'm all right. You those been, those uh, were dark days when I had to play fucking mm. little league. Yeah, you didn't like those days. Yeah, no. then you were opened up to art. Uh. Today, we are talking about nuts and a specific nut. Quite. The almond. Uh huh. Now, before everyone goes crazy, Whoa. we know it's not technically a nut. Okay. Well, I am learning this for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a seed, yes, right? It is. I, but, Alex, you can't break that. I just said we know. And then you're like, wait, I, uh, huh, I didn't sorry. know. I'm, I'm tracking you along with me, being like, Alex, shut up. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. I'm not great at. Uh, Social cues. <laughs> Social. <laughs> um, That's all. Come on. Yeah. Well, Case, today we're talking the almond tree scientific name. Yep. What did you got? Prunus. Yeah. Hey, it's in the Prunus. It is. Uh, amygdalus. Isn't amygdalus. That, amygdalus. Yeah. yeah. That's the way I would pronounce it. Okay. Amygdalus. Yeah. Isn't that a fun way to do it? Prunus Just, amygdalus. Yeah. Does that remind you of anything? Uh, prunus reminds me of, pr- uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, what the uh, uh, fuck, uh, Rose family? You're doing great. That's it. Yeah. Yes, they are in the Rose family. It reminds you of the cherry tree. Yes, yes. Cherries, apricots, almonds, plums, mm-hmm. peaches. Those are all in the almond 
uh, or in the in the the, the uh, prunus. Yes, the prunus, the what, colloquially known as the cherry family. Okay, or it's cherry genus rather. Uh, they're in the rose family, rosaceae. Did I guess? Correctly, completely out of nowhere. I assume accidentally so. that they was in the Rose family. I don't think you guessed then in that case because you got it right, which means you asserted. I think I I thought Prunus. That sounds like something we've heard before. That yeah. is also in the Rose family. Hey, you got it exactly right, Alex. If cool. I had a, if I had a little ding right here, I would I would ding it. And be I like, could put bing. one in. Hey, you want me to? Here. Thank you, Casey. Great work, Alex. Casey's ding of approval. <laughs> Yes, you are exactly right. They are in the rose family. It is almond, the prunus, ag... See, I can't do it. Whenever I look at it, I like put the G in front. Right. For those of you who are playing the at-home game, type in A-M-Y-G-D-A-L-U-S. It's a strange word. It's a strange word. Interestingly, it used to be the genus of the almonds... Uh, historically, there was uh, the the f- whole family of um, Prunus, uh, the whole, not family, but the uh, the genus, mm-hmm. was split into a bunch of different subcategories. Okay. And then, um, you know, we've talked about before, there are things, uh, these people, they're taxonomists, they talk about lumping and splitting, right? Yes, lumpers and splitters. Yeah, exactly. So in this case, uh, there were, there was some huge wave of lumpers that came in, and they took all these, like, separate um different species and genre and they mashed them all under one so there used to be um a certain genre for say the peaches and then for the almonds Mm -hmm. and then for the apricots and like these kinds of things and then all of a sudden one day they're just like nah they're all the same thing i can't recall if it was all those all those individual ones. So I shouldn't I shouldn't say that too much. But for certain, it actually just used to be a Magdalus uh, was the name of the uh, of the uh, whatever this thing is the almond. It was a Magdalus communis, but then mm. otherwise people knew it as Prunus Magdalus or Prunus dulcis. Those were the many names for it. For anyone wondering or lost a little bit, what we mean by lumpers and splitters, uh, they're traditionally in taxonomy. It, Casey, yeah. You know, there are two kinds of taxonomists in this world. <laughs> your lumpers and your splitters. Yeah, that's right. I can see you drinking a Coors Light of Beer right, <laughs> or at a bar right now. That's no one listens to me. <laughs> I uh, listen to you. Just talking to uh, the bartender that I think is there, but yeah, isn't. He's actually just like over somewhere else cleaning glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a lumper in taxonomy would be somebody who can uh, will take different... Uh, plants and be like ah these are all in the same genus fuck it yes i'm putting all these in one category splitters are people of the mind that are like uh no we need to be more specific and put this plant in this genus this plant gets its own genus yeah etc etc exactly i i think we've 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 spoken before mm-hmm. uh about your class your uh uh way of thinking about my this. opinion of it yeah yeah and you're a lumper I'm a lumper, personally. You know... Because it's easier. Uh, I think I might go back and forth. I think at the time... Um, what were we talking about? It was probably a pine species, I think. Yeah, um, but usually... Yeah, I guess I would like the... I, I like the uh, I like the splitting, I think, personally. Okay. 
mostly um, because you can see really clearly like that there's huge differences like mm-hmm. just morphologically um, and because of those morphological differences you would think okay these should be different spear different genre yeah they're still really closely related underneath you know this one family um, but at the same time the lumpers and the splitters are like well these are all going to be under there's still going to be one genus prunus but then there is going to be sub genre or sub yeah sub genre underneath or subsections right so then you have like subsection impeclocratus oh that's a hard one impeclocratus i'm going to skip that one after that <laughs> then there's amygdalus or subsection persica subsection armenica subsection microcerus or microcerasis and so these used to be like the the actual genre of these plants for a second it sounded like you were naming like the sons of achilles <laughs> yes i am Im- Implectoclatus, son of prunus i am agmedalus son of persic your brother of persicus yeah it kind of does thank you this is my cousin, Armenica, Microsaurasis. <laughs> yeah. That's Prune. a fun game. Yeah, I like that. So that this is what it is. So, it, But like they used to be Lorosaurasis. Um, Lorosaurasis something was the English cherry laurel. Mm. But now they're like, no, 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 no. That is actually in Prunus. So now it's Prunus Lorosaurasis. Now Whoa. that is the specific epithet. I just lost you, but yeah, I think that's good. okay because it's such nonsense. It's such nonsense. Anyway, this has all been, they, even if they split it or lump it, it's just really like moving different things to different parts. Yeah. So instead of different genre with different species all under one, let's say, in the family, They've now put them all underneath one genre, but then added subgenre. So all the distinctions and differences are all still there. Mm-hmm. They just kind of like moved them down a lot, a level. See, for me, as someone kind of outside uh, on the periphery of the scientific community, yeah, sure. I look at this like moving a fork from the left side of the plate to the right side. It's kind of the plate. what it is. Yeah, it's like you know, it's still there, and you can. It still has the same number of tines. You're just now adding. You're just moving it somewhere else for no good reason. Apparently. Yeah. yeah, it seems a little pedantic. But more power to them. Their cones are their own. Casey, let's talk about the tree itself, the almond tree. Uh, Let's imagine like we do every episode. You and I are walking through an almond grove. What a treat. So beautiful. Casey, let's talk almond. Uh, Let's do it. Alex, there are several different species of almond. Uh, Unfortunately, many of them are uh, just completely unedible and they're very, very small. Mm. So um, the almonds, there would be like Prunus mongolica, which is like a tiny little shrub. It doesn't get very tall, stays really small. Um, There are uh, Prunus dulcis. There's uh, Prunus, here, I'm going to say this one, Spinocissima, Spinocissima. And these are like little shrubs that just have a lot of like little thorns on them mm. and they're really, you know, spiky and they have these little fruit. The almond that we're talking about though, for whatever reason, grows up to be much taller. It'll okay. be a, a much larger tree, but it has the same kind of shape and appearance as a normal cherry tree would, where mm. it kind of grows up. It has these kind of like spindly branches that come out. It's not It's not one of the big, gorgeous, like black cherries that grow on the East Coast that can be like forest trees. Right. These are the same kinds of cherries that you see growing in kind of thickets along the, you know, hedgerows and things like that. They just kind of come out. They have lots of multi-stems, some thorns here, some thorns there. Kind of an understory tree. Yeah, I'd say so. An understory 
story tree, an edge tree, that kind of thing. Okay. So they grow to be, you know, around uh, 30, 40 feet tall, not too huge. And they have a, uh, they usually don't get very big in diameter also. And um, they have, you know, kind of the standard cherry-like leaf. It's a couple, maybe uh, two, four, five inches long, something like that. And they have little serrations uh, on the edge, which is extremely common for uh, cherry things or things in this cherry genus. Mm-hmm. Um, they do, however, have uh, nice little pink flowers, the same as you'd get from a actual cherry. Yeah, I, I'm, look, I'm looking at some Are you photos. seeing some of those? Yeah, and I, it looks... From a distance, you know, this photo was taken from probably 30 feet away. Yeah. It looks just like a cherry tree. It does. It has, I mean, that's why now they're like, no, we have to lump this together. It is the same thing. I see. So they look and they, for all intents and purposes, are the same exact thing as a cherry tree. They have little flowers that come out really early in the spring that only last, I even read this uh, this uh, article from 1999, there was like, they only last for a tiny bit of time. Which, if you recall, when we did the Japanese cherry, yes. I was like, you know what? They, it's all they do. They just kind of go, pa-pa. Right. They spend it all right at once, and they're like, give us everything we need now. Sort of a, be- a very beautiful uh, five days. Yeah. I mean, five days, and that's the long end of it. Yeah. Usually, it's a little bit shorter than that, in wow. my experience. But they're usually like pale, uh, pale white, pink, like, you know, have that kind of range of little pinkish white going mm-hmm. on. And they're usually really, really, really pretty. The big thing, of course, is after they have these nice little flowers. Um, well, actually, I should also end. Their bark isn't anything special. They got bark. Wow. It's, it's, it's I've never just... seen you be so dismissive of bark. Ah, well, I mean, I guess these trees, I mean, they exist. You know, they got bark. It's just like, uh, it's kind of rough bark. Doesn't really have too much of a cherry bit on it. Doesn't have uh, too much of anything like special. It's just kind of, you know, bark. Is this utility bark we're talking about? I think it's kind of utility bark, but it does have a couple bits of like, um, so as cherries go, they kind of get... Um, uh, they have like those horizontal lenticels a lot of times. Yeah. So these have a little bit of that. They have lenticels for sure. And then as the bark kind of breaks up, they they hold on to those lenticels. But it, it just doesn't do a whole lot. So I don't even want to say utility because I don't even know if it really does a whole lot other than like, you know, not allow the tree to be dead. It, so I guess it's utility in that sense. But it looks a little uh, leprous. Leprous, like it's kind of peeling off or something. Yeah, and like spotty and red and and splotchy. Hmm. All right, I can get that. Not a great looking bark. Unremarkable to say the least. All right, one cone of honor. Wow. I'm just joking. That's too early. You know what? I'll say this: the almond tree bark does not get Croson's stump of approval. Yeah, it sure doesn't. <laughs> Forgot the kerflunk after that. Sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to do it. <laughs> uh, but what's curious, of Casey. course, is that. But sorry. Kaplunk. Thank you. <laughs> ah, I, I think it, it was like, ba-dunk, ba-dunk. <laughs> yeah, ba-dunk. I usually make some weird sound like that. So, tree got a couple things going for it. It's really beautiful. It's got yeah. these really pretty pink flowers. It doesn't get too big, kind of stays a little small. It does have the cherry kind of stone fruit appearance of a tree where they mm-hmm. just send up a bunch of sprouts and they look kind of scraggly. They don't really do a whole lot. Yeah. Um, their bark is unremarkable, to say the least, but they have a very remarkable thing to them. That is their fruit. Casey, the almond fruit. Isn't it kind of adorable? Uh, yeah, it looks a bit like a tiny mango. Yeah, it really does. That's exactly what I thought of. That's well done. Well thank, done. Thank you. Well, so the mango, of course, is a droop, as we had said. Also, this is a droop, the same oh, as a cherry. Oh, it's a droop, huh? It's a droop. The difference is in the cherries, the peaches, and the mango, the droop is, in fact, 
really nice and big and fleshy, and it's tasty and juicy. Yeah. In the almond, it is actually more like a leather covering over the top mm. of the seed, where it doesn't get really super big and fleshy. It's not juicy, and it does not taste very good. Um, it does also, it is uh, what's called in or dehiscent fruit, not indehiscent. Indehiscent fruit. Oh, go for it. I think Alex. I know what dehiscent Yeah, means. I think you do. I just, I wasn't sure. It's one of two things. Yeah. It's either that it opens up when there's heat involved. Uh-huh. Okay. Or that it falls apart piece by piece. Ah, it is more of the second than the first, but it's not quite either. Okay. But it's a broad term, so you're correct. Um, a, a dehiscent cone right. would be a uh, cedar or yes. a true fir, right? right? Where it falls apart piece by piece. Uh-huh. You're exactly right. Now, when it's talking about, um, when it's also used more broadly, it means that it is just a dry fruit that kind of breaks open. Oh, okay. Not necessarily falls apart, but just opens up. I got you. So the almond does this. Uh, its fruit is dehiscent in that it gets dry. Indehiscent fruit would stay shut and it wouldn't open up after it dries. I see. Um, so this one, it kind of splits open. So it almost looks like a little leather case. It just kind of goes bleh. Yeah. And pops out or opens up to, to where the seed is. It's quite nice looking. Isn't it? I, I, like I have it. to say, I, I'm quite enamored by it. It looks like a little, it turns into a little Pac-Man. Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah, I see a... Uh, yeah, I see kind of a, a bird's beak a lot of times. Yeah, there you go. Now, but then, of course, the almond inside is inside the pit. So if you ever eat a, a peach or something like that, um, and I'm saying peach a lot because they're actually really closely related to the peach. Are they? Well, they're both uh, droops. They're both droops. They're right there. But then if you're if you're taking the whole family, you know, like uh, you could, you have a huge family and you got a bunch of cousins, you can like, yeah, I'm related to those cousins, but I'm more closely related to these cousins, right. you know, just because of that family tree. Mm-hmm. Well, these are actually both in that same subgenus, Amagdalus. Okay. If you look at the peach pit and the almond, which is essentially the almond pit, they have these little corrugations or what they're called, all those little teeny tiny holes in there. And so those are the same for both. And then you break open that pit and what do you find inside? An almond. An almond. A nut that is in fact a seed as most of them are. So can I recap the anatomy of this thing? Yeah, yeah, Because there's a lot of parts here. Yeah, give give me what you got. So you have, from the outside in, you have this sort of leathery, uh, leathery skin on the outside. Yeah. That breaks open Mm -hmm. because it's dehiscent. Yes. And on the inside is a pit. Yes. We're calling a pit. Correct. That looks a little like a peach pit. Mm -hmm. Has a little bunch of little holes in it. And inside that pit is the seed. Yes. Which is the thing that we eat. That is correct. Okay. That is the almond. The official capital A almond. Or if you were in any other language, usually they don't have the A, and they're just like almond. Almond. Yes. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Okay. That's, uh, that Thank is the you. almond. And the interesting thing about it is that this fruit that we eat, or this nut, which is actually a seed, is a really curious. And I should add, the, the nut versus the seed, a nut is a fruit that has a seed within it. Okay. Whereas this is a seed that is within a fruit that is called the droop. So a droop is to a nut in the same way that a seed is to a seed. Woof. Yeah. What's an example of a true nut? A true nut? An acorn is a true nut. Okay. Where it has a hard outer shell, 100%, uh-huh. and it does not break apart, and then inside they have that nice fleshy seed. That's actually the endocarp. That's the seed itself. Uh, I believe a walnut would also technically count as this, where it has an outer thing, then you break it open, and then that open thing has a has another okay. fleshy bit inside. So is the pit 
of an almond a nut? Uh, no, because it's in the, the you can't take the exocarp, the outer fleshy coating. Oh. That is also a part of the fruit itself. Oh, which, okay. Yeah. So okay. that makes me wonder if I it just got walnut wrong, but I'm pretty sure it didn't. But I, I'm 100% positive about the acorn. That okay. is technically a nut. An acorn is a true nut. Yes. You know what else is a true nut? You. Fuck you. <laughs> you, you fucking sniped my joke. <laughs> yeah, I did. I was going to say Casey Clap. Yeah, gotcha. Bazing. Oh, Casey. Yeah. How dare you? Shaking his head at me. Anyway, Alex, there are some very curious things that we have to talk about relating to this interesting thing. So the fact that it is, in fact, a seed, and it's a seed in the rose family, specifically a seed in the uh, prunus genus, Mm. is extremely important into what makes the almond such an interesting plant. Interesting. Yes. And Casey, I believe we'll hear a little bit more about that after this non-commercial break. What? Let's put a commercial in here, Alex. We're going we're gonna to do it. We'll be right back. We're completely arbitrary. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Casey, I think we got you scratching your beard on yes, the mic. I do. Sorry, is it good? Yeah. Yeah. It, if you have a problem with misophonia, <laughs> you're really going to Keep listening because this is fine. <laughs> because this is, I mean, that's not technically eating. I'm not eating. I was just, I happen to be looking over and, and, and scratching at the same time. Right. That's huh. more, I think this is more asthma, which is usually oh, people yeah. like that. Yeah. Sorry. Here, let me give you some more. Great. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm going to sell that on a website. <laughs> you just don't tell me you've just made $6 million. <laughs> I retire from the podcast. Anyway, this was a lot of fun, dude, but later. <laughs> well, Casey, today we're talking the almond mm-hmm. scientific name Prunus amygdalus. Amygdalus. Yes, some people call it uh, Prunus dulcis. Yes. Meaning sweet. And Casey, today, I, I will be honest. Yeah. I've been pretty harried lately. Uh-huh. We, you and I are doing a lot. 
Yep. And I have a lot happening outside mm. of this podcast mm-hmm. as far as my work. But I will say I have no clue what we're talking about today. Oh, that's great, In Alex. regards to the almond. I had no idea because I'm typing it in a shared document and <laughs> yep. I saw your name on one, so- one spot on it. And and but I, it was on a spot that's just a bullet. Yes, and it says they need bees. Okay, that's it. And so I was assuming that you read at least that much. Oh no, I pr- I put the cursor there, but after uh-huh. I copy and pasted something else into this document, Excellent. I have not read through this. Perfect. You don't need to. I'll tell you about it right now. Casey, let's do it. All right. So here's 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 a tree, Alex, that exists. It grew initially in uh, like the Middle East area. Okay. Some people say uh, West, Southwest, South Asia. That tracks. It this, does. This seems like a Middle Eastern tree. Right. And then if you think about uh, sort of that area, it includes like uh, Kazakhstan mm-hmm. and some mountainous areas, Turkmenistan, yep. Uzbekistan, all the fun stands. Yep. I stand for stands. From the stands come the uh, come the almond, which, like I said mm. earlier, there's a lot of different species of almonds. Not a whole lot, just enough to be like, yeah, there's many species. They grow wild out there in these little tiny little shrubs, and mm. some are small trees that are really pokey. But the thing that all the wild almonds have in common, Alex, is that they are extremely bitter. Okay. And in fact, um, what we alluded to before we went to this uh, went to the old the old commercial break there is that the almond is the seed that is the same as the seed that's inside the cherries, the peaches, the apricots, everything else. Mm -hmm. Now, have you ever eaten uh, or heard of someone eating the pit of a cherry or the the seed inside the pit of a peach? No, I I don't think so. Gotcha. The reason that we don't eat the pits of these other plants is because of this same bitterness. This bitterness is a, a fun thing that the trees and the plants do to make sure that you, the, the edible, the eating thing, mm-hmm. do not eat their entire thing and that your body passes it through. Okay. So they have uh, what is called... So it makes it undigestible, basically. Uh, not necessarily undigestible, more like your body's like, get this out as fast as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're inside this big, this big protective thing, right? So the big protective thing is undigestible, and it does, they also don't want things to eat that even if they like break open and get to the seed. Because we remember that a seed is uh, as, uh, what was his name? Um, uh, Thor Hansen of the book Seeds right. noted that they are essentially um, the little baby with a lunch pail full of food and yeah. its lunch is packed with it so it can survive going off into the wild, right? Yeah. Without its parent. So what this little guy is packed of is proteins and lipids and things that are really good to digest so that the plant can grow. It also works out that those are really good for everything else to grow and eat and love. So that's why we eat them and we think they're such good nuts. Mm -hmm. The thing is, um, inside this, they have a a glucosoid, 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 glucose. (laughs) I'm trying. Glucose. I'm going to go glucoside. Glocoside. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm saying that right. Anyway, it's called amygdalin, and it is, when crushed, it produces prussic acid. Have you ever heard of prussic acid? No. It is also known as hydrogen cyanide or hydrocyanide or just simply cyanide. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Little, little, I, know, I know cyanide. Yeah, it'll, it'll get you. 
You do too now. Yeah. Oh, wait, what? Once you've had that coffee I gave you. Oh my God. So anyway, so these seeds, uh, that that makes it really bitter. Cyanide is really bad for you. If you actually eat almonds that are the, the kind of wild, bitter almonds, are uh-huh. what they're called, um, or if you eat the pits of other cherry and other things like that, they have high amounts of cyanide and they can actually be 100% fatal to you if you eat like, you know, a couple dozen. Wow. Which is not a whole lot when you're looking at how many almonds you can eat in a single sitting. Yeah. Now, we only eat those because they taste delicious, but imagine if, uh, for whatever reason, we just decided we're going to nom down a bunch of those, and then we ended up, uh, yeah, you can kill someone. That's awful. Yeah. And, the, of course, the plants do it because they're like, we don't want you to eat us and destroy our seeds. Yeah. It turns out also other plants do this like sorghum. They'll do this uh, kind of in the fall where if you crush uh, the leaves and the seed at the same time, sorghum being like a um, a... Uh, very common plant that you would plant in uh uh what is it it's a it's a seed that we would eat humans and that other livestock would eat okay and so if you take a uh, certain chemicals that are in the leaf during the fall and you smash it up together with the seeds it actually produces the same acid and it can kill animals what the fuck so this the plants like don't eat me when my seed is ready to go yeah, because that's... i want it to go out and be you know big thing that makes like thorny trees look really weak it kind of does yeah now some of these almonds they even have thorns on them too so they're yeah. just like they're, it's like pay attention to all the signs right There's lots of lines of defense yeah and they they take it very seriously I applaud them for that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So we, at some point, uh, found one that we, uh, I think it's a it's a recessive trait, and so it takes like uh, a certain gene mutation, which happens like once every like 10 or, I'm sorry, like 5 million mutations or like something. I don't know exactly the gene things, but it's extremely rare. Okay. And then once that gene mutation happens, then you get a uh, from a bitter almond, you get a sweet almond that doesn't have as much of this cyanide, like like maybe 2% of what it normally would. Okay. So even still, some people have like a little bit of a upset stomach if they eat like hundreds of almonds. <laughs> Probably because you ate hundreds of almonds, yeah. but you're actually building up a little teeny tiny bit of this uh, cyanide in you. Normally, your body can handle it, so it's not a big deal, right? Yeah. Um, so at one point, uh, we humans found one. And we essentially started growing that. I laugh because if you think about how that is, no one knows exactly how. Like there was no one moment where, you know, some Mesopotamian was like, ha ha, I found one. Or someone from Uzbekistan was like, here it is. This is the tree. Even if they did, the question is, how did they find it? This has been in cultivation for at least about 4,000 years. Wow. They found evidence that people had been eating them, potentially wild ones, as much as like 19,000 years ago before present. Okay. So all this to say, there were some random people going around who were like, oh, I'm going to eat this one. Oh, God, tastes bad. Okay, moving on. Then they would eat another one, but they would just continually eat more almonds. Right. Because you cannot find a good almond by smelling it or looking at the plant it is either a tasty almond or it is not a tasty almond and there's one sense that you can use to find that out right that is the taste that's that's always a funny thing with like the origin of food <laughs> yeah exactly like, right who the fuck tried cheese for the first time right you know but the thing is if you if you do it once and it tastes good you're like oh sweet and yeah. then every time after that you know that's that thing's gonna be good so uh-huh. it's like who's gonna try these there's these all these mushrooms growing 
let's try them and see if one of them tastes good or see if one kills us, you yeah. know? Okay, one happened to cause you an intense amount of stomach issues. Let's just never eat that kind of mushroom again. Right. Moved on. This one tastes really good. This is a completely different kind of mushroom. Let's just use that one, right? So it's easy because every mushroom is either yes or no. Yeah. But in the almonds, every almond was a no. And they all looked exactly the same. Right. So they just kept trying. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it's like ah, I got zinged. Okay, I'm going to try this one more time. Yeah. And they just kept doing it until we found an almond that was a sweet almond. Wow. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this, uh, this is the almond. This is what it does. It's this weird tree that we've grown for a long time. And of course, it's deliciously sweet. We make a lot of good, fun things out of it. We sure do. However, Alex, it turns out that if you are trying to make, uh, if you love something that's so delicious, you end up making rather it's it's a classic thing i think i've said this multiple times in Mm. this show where you have a nice thing and you add in just a dash of capitalism to it (laughs) and you take a nice thing and you blow it up into huge proportions and you turn it into an industry yeah apple most recently we talked about yeah apple and i think i did this you know talking about some flowering tree a while back because you know there's some that are really nice and then we just like just force them so hard to go be cool i think maybe the japanese maple like kind of loses its specialness when everyone has them um, so in this case, it's kind of a similar, a similar thing. So the, the main thing I want to talk about with these, uh, these two little, these, this, this almond tree is the cool side where it's like this, this really wacky species that humans have been cultivating for a really long time and took this really strange route to find it. Because if you look at it, they don't look tasty. Like all of the, the leathery coated pictures, you're just like, that doesn't look very good. Yeah, I would look at it and be like, what part do I eat? Yeah, right? And then maybe you like, you know, tear off the outside leathery skin, realize that tastes terrible. Yeah. Just have this like, this, you know, woody bit on the inside, smash that open because you know there's a seed inside because yeah. you're a smart animal. And you eat that and you're like, this tastes awful. Why would you do that a hundred thousand times? <laughs> I just think that's so funny that some humans just kept on trying until they found one. God bless them. Yeah. But then you also get this really cool, interesting species that is, uh, it's not self-compatible. So it has to have another uh, tree with different genes, a different individual entirely. That one has to uh, pollinate it. It cannot be a clone because it can't pollinate itself. So if its genes are all the same, it's not going to pollinate itself. So you have to have a different variety of tree in one big gigantic grove that's getting touched by a thousand different insects that's coming around. So you can't just uh, like say a walnut or a pecan or anything else where those are all wind pollinated. Hazelnuts, another great example. Wind goes through, pollinates everything. You have to have insects. Now, what is the the nice or the insect that is the classic pollinator? Uh, the bee. That is right. Yeah. Enter in a situation that is a check on the wait, maybe not so good side of almond. You're familiar with uh, the honeybees and their their most recent um, uh, what is it? Their the big disease. It's a colony collapse oh, yes. disorder, I believe, is what it's called. Yep. So, are you, it, can you give an example? Do you, you know what it is? Uh, we've talked about it before, haven't we? Uh, really briefly. Uh, for a second, yeah. I actually don't know what it is, Casey. Okay. I, I, not enough to even attempt. Well, I love it when you do attempt, but this is. This is fun. All right, I'll try. All right, what do we got? Um, so 
the male bees, the mm-hmm. workers, are the ones that go out and pollinate. The ones that deliver the the cones of honor. Yeah, <laughs> the work our little worker bees. Um, they they uh, they go out and they they collect uh, they collect things, mm-hmm. but on those uh, they collect uh, the pollen. Yeah. Uh, Maybe that those flowers that they're collecting from have been sprayed with something. Ah, okay, yeah, that's this is close. They bring it back to the colony. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bad chemical that yep. hurts the bee, and because they bring it back, it's like going to a country music show and you with come back with COVID. Uh, that's you exactly give it to your whole family, right? Yeah, and then your house collapses. Yes, so then the walls of your house <laughs> just collapse, come caving in. Yeah, yeah, I think you got it spot on. So moving on. Um, <laughs> Come on. All right, all right. You got you got it. Uh, you got a little bit right. And what's important though is that you touched on one of the biggest like components. So colony collapse disorder started in there started being reported in 2006, mm. and then people were like, "What's going on? All the bees are dying." Yeah, and everyone was really worried. Like I remember that I, in college I heard all about this, where everyone's like, "Bees are dying everywhere. They're the most important." important thing bees 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 yeah you know, all this stuff lots of clipboards being signed yeah to do exactly with bees. and so as we talked about in the linden episode there was the um neonicotinoids like mm-hmm. this very specific kind of uh, or class of pesticide that we were using all over the place and we was killing a lot of bees now we do this in these giant groves in california and groves of almonds in california are on a massive scale like yeah. just literal acres and acres and acres and acres and acres there's huge i think there's a graft i saw that was um it was something like all of the rest of all the nuts combined are still like pale in comparison to the amount of almonds i think it's 2.14 billion almonds oh. and then there's like 0.6 walnuts zero point i'm sorry 0.13 pecans and then like pistachios hazelnuts macadamia nuts are like less than nothing wow so it's just like the amount of almonds compared to everything else is crazy that's being grown in california uh it would be i think in the world in the yeah in the united states specifically and what's interesting about this is that they are um using a a lot of water to grow these trees right and this has been a big deal because they're like well we're in this huge big drought and um a lot of these articles that um we found came out in i think uh 2015-16 when there was like a four-year drought in california yeah and then i was actually at a frisbee tournament in la the day that the drought stopped it was a beach tournament and the second day was canceled because everyone's like this is the most rain i've ever experienced in my life wow And then after that, it kept raining, and then they ended the drought after that. And I was like, yeah, I was there. But it has been like they they grow a whole bunch, and so they're using a whole bunch of water in order to create um, these almonds. And everyone's like, okay, well, maybe we should be using this water for something else. Sure. And then everyone's like, okay, well, this is true. Then they're like, well, okay, what else is going on with the almonds? And so I'm just like, you know, Googling around, and they're like, well, they also have other issues. I'm like, oh, well, what other people, what other things? And the other thing um, is honeybees. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so interesting. So we've said a couple different things that are important here. I want to wrap it all up in a nice little bow. Lovely. Okay. You have these gigantic like acres and acres and acres and acres and acres and acres of 
almonds getting grown more than almost anywhere else in the entire United States. Mm -hmm. And they are all using X amount of water. They're a high value crop because almonds are, you know, you can sell them for a good price. Um, But they take a lot of water. So water's getting more expensive in a drought ridden place like California, which already doesn't have a whole lot of water all the time anyway. The almonds, they are, uh, they cannot be pollinated by, um, by themselves. You have to have another variety with different genes in order for those things to pollinate. Okay. If they don't pollinate, they don't produce a seed. And right. And seed is what we eat. Yes. So, in order to do that, they bring in something like 1.2 million hives of bees from everywhere, 49 different states. My bet is the only one they don't do is Hawaii. And all of those bees come in on big, gigantic trucks, and they ship them in on these hives. And there are literal, I read the term bee brokers, or pollination brokers are what they're called. The fuck? And they are like doling out bees to the highest bidder, whoever needs them wherever they need them. Wow. So, and then and there's a, we'll, we'll link to a Bloomberg article that kind of covers this in a really well, really good way. And they have a, a really cool uh, graphic. And this graphic shows that there is like where the bees are moved around. And if it's darker green, Cali- uh, then that's where the most bees are in any given point. And all throughout the entire year, <laughs> California's like goes from dark green to black to yes. dark green to black, and and that's because everywhere has like a way bigger seasonality than California. So they bring the bees into California during like February when the flowers are just opening from the almonds, and then they ship them back across in spring to somewhere else in the Midwest or up to Oregon or over to Washington. Wow. And then they, after that point, decide that, they, okay, cool, now we got the bees uh, bees here. They're going to say, well, now it's February. Let's go back down to California. And the bees never get a break. And they're oh. in these big, huge hives. And because they're in these big, huge hives, they essentially are... Uh, packed in there and they don't spread apart and break into little hives and go on what's called a swarm where they basically take their old queen and they're like hey lady i'm getting out of here you're coming with me and she's like take me (laughs) and all the bees get together and they all go find a new cool hive and they go chill there for a little while okay and then the hive that is still there, the rest of the members are like, well, we need a new queen. They raise some some uh, non-noble drone right. up to queen status. Uh-huh. That queen starts producing eggs, and then they start the whole thing over again. Wow. And so this happens in like this breaking and splitting. And if you want to know more about bees... I highly encourage there's an ologies episode on uh, the, the bees. I forgot the, the, the ology term. Mm. Anyway, look it up. It's really good. And... So it turns out that colony collapse is this big thing that's been happening. They're like, why is this happening? And they did a bunch of research and found like a hundred different causes, none of which are significant. They're all like these low-line, non-lethal things that all happen at once over a long period of time that cause an entire colony. Essentially, they just don't ever come back. They just fly away, they die, and then they go back to the hive and they're like, where? where's all the bees? And there's like a dead queen and some young ones that just couldn't live because they couldn't be taken care of by all their sisters. Wow. It's a tragedy. So some of that is what you picked out, which is the um, uh, poly- or pesticides. Spraying pesticides for whatever else, a little bit gets on bees and then the bees die. Yeah. 
The other thing is that there's these big mites. And if you're in these big colonies where the bees don't split up and like basically become smaller populations, just as in every single population, if you get a huge big population and one uh, parasite or something gets in and it spreads exponentially through the entire population, sure. you get a population crash, right? Yeah. So this happens in the hives as well. Then you can imagine if they're nonstop working for literally two or three years at a time, getting driven back and forth across, mm. you don't get this natural kind of like slow down and then rebuild up then slow down then rebuild up sure so everyone's like yes the natural colonies of bees are having this huge big issue i'm sorry the um the artificial colonies the hives but then the nests which is an important distinction yeah. native bees are in nests in right. trees and they're just doing their thing those native bees pretty much just fine and i i say that Huh. because they're not like 100% because they still have like pesticides and these mites and these other things that attack them. Yeah. But their amounts of collapsing, uh, like their their numbers of collapse in terms of a hive or a nest, so much lower. It's like nothing. And then you go to these like industrialized beehives, they just get destroyed. Wow. But you have to have them or else you can't get the amount of almonds from these trees that need the pollinators oh and, and we can't go without our almonds we can't Casey. go without our almonds oh, brother exactly now there are ways that we could solve this problem the other thing is there's of course water issues and the water issues are are just gigantic in california a lot of that is simply because people like um they they don't they have like lawns or rather they pave a whole bunch of area and they don't have native um they have streams like the L.A. River that's just in a canal that just goosh, goes straight out. Maybe yeah. not all of the L.A. River, but a lot of different places in California where it was essentially like floodwaters would just go and mash through everything. So they speed up the water as fast as they can to get it out of their cities and out into the oceans or you know into some reservoir or something like that, where they put it in these you know actual uh, cement. Yes. Canals. Yeah. Now, if they took that away and they let the water actually go back down into their aquifer underneath in the ground, mm. get rid of half the pavement, um, reuse uh, different storm water or reuse gray water, let that go back into the ground, naturally filter itself out, then the trees and the wells can use it again and everything's going to be a little bit better. Meanwhile, if you were to, let's say, not have 100% of your acreage planted as big trees that you're growing on an industrial level, you're not letting anything else grow near them, then maybe if you had uh, left some room for other native bees and other native pollinators, because bees, though they are one of our biggest pollinators, are not our only pollinators. Right. So all we need to do is actually create what this, it's a really new concept. No one's really heard about it before. It's called an ecosystem. <laughs> If we create an ecosystem around these trees, the amount that we will be producing, yes, it's going to be a little bit less. It's going to be just slightly less than 2.14 billion shelled walnuts. I'm sorry, billion pounds. Right. 2.14 billion pounds of shelled nuts. Which is like trillions of nuts. <laughs> it's just so stunning. Yes. So if we had, um, if we allowed for other ecosystem types to come through, if we didn't industrially use honeybees um, as literal drones that are these little machines, uh -huh. then they probably wouldn't collapse quite so much. Wow. And of course, if we didn't use so many herbicides, uh, rather, I'm sorry, pesticides that kill off these insects, we might have, have a little bit more. But we're insatiable, Alex. You know, the, uh, the, the wheels of industry... 
mm. turn ever forward or yep. something. Until they fall right off the bus. What a depressing dark cloud with a tiny little silver lining that will never be realized right? because we're monsters. I know, but man, they're delicious. I well, yeah, I don't know. I I hear all that and I'm like, fuck no, I'm not buying almonds. Yeah. Uh well, it is. It's it's rough. It's it's really rough. And there's a whole bunch of other issues that come along with this. So there is not an easy answer, Alex. You just say stop buying course. walnuts and everything's going to be fine because this land was being, you know, used and followed for whatever different reason. Then they said, well, it's not getting, you know, it is a higher product value for this land if we plant it with almonds or pistachios or some other nut or something that has a little higher value yeah. rather than growing something else like alfalfa, which uses even more water. So can't we, uh, whatever. Yeah. Casey. It is long overdue time for our review of the almond tree. Mm. However, before we get into that, we have an almond recipe. So if after all of this, you still (laughs) want to make something with almonds, now is your chance. Casey, friend of the pod, Shannon Feltis. Oh, she's such a delight. uh, Co-host of... The podcast, You Are That. Mm-hmm. You and I appeared on one of their episodes. Highly recommend you listen to it. And now Shannon appears, uh, sort of, on our episode. I think quite explicitly she does. Shannon is a chef and a uh, self-described plant nerd mm-hmm. based out of Portland. Shannon sent us a recipe for an almond tart. And the photo looks incredible. You can look at that photo on our Instagram post mm-hmm. for this episode. And... She had a few things to say about it. So let's hear what Shannon has to say. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to share a very cool recipe that is near and dear to my heart for a few different reasons. So I'm really stoked that I got to share a recipe that has to do with almonds because almonds are special for so many reasons. The first thing I think of for almonds is... A childhood where uh, a treat was a Jordan almond, which is like a hard-shelled, candy-coated almond that most people know from like weddings and things. But I just love, just the flavor of almond is so unique and special. Um, Another thing, almonds are a huge part of our holiday traditions because our family has always been pretty obsessed with marzipan. And some people might not know that marzipan is actually a confection that is almond meal, sugar, sometimes honey, um, almond oil or extract is in it. It's usually made into sweets. Uh, some folks might recognize it as like a chocolate covered marzipan. There's a lot of different shapes and things. Um, but we would get the tin of like Germanic origin. I think if I'm remembering correctly, And it's shaped into little fruits and uh, colored with edible food coloring. And it just looks like little peaches or pears, but it's just straight up almond paste. And it is the most delightful treat. Almond has such a subtle, unmistakable flavor. And that taste or that smell of almond is a memory for me. And memories and food really go hand in hand. So for me, the tart that I made for you guys has both sliced almonds and a creamy center that's made from 
cream cheese and marzipan or almond paste. Either one will work. One's a little stiffer than the other. You can find them basically at every grocery store now. It's become kind of a more common ingredient. But marzipan is so different than a normal almond or ground almond or almond meal texture. So it's just really unique and really special. But the combination of both of those is like double almond power. And it's just so simple. It looks fancy. I love a good recipe that feels like you took forever creating it and there's so much love in it, but it really is very easy to whip up. So it's effortless, but still shows you care. That's really kind of my very favorite thing. I love cooking for family and friends. I love teaching people how to cook and educating. I am at the root of everything a plant nerd. I started as a plant nerd. I will always be a plant nerd. So working with tree nuts to make lots of different things is kind of my wheelhouse. So this is something really special for me. Creating a recipe for the completely arbitrary listeners is an honor, and I'm so excited to share this with you. And I hope everyone creates this in their own rendition, be it dairy-free. There's lots of different ways. If you're vegetarian or vegan, you have your own um, version of a cream cheese replacement. So that would be totally suitable for this. And I would love to see what you guys come up with. Or or if you cook this during the holidays, I would love to hear more about it. So please, please share if you've made this and you love it. I want to hear all about it, please. Again, thanks guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoy this. Casey. Mm. Shannon wasn't kidding when she said this recipe was simple. This thing has six ingredients. It's incredible. And it's a beautiful little tart. Casey, it's time for our review of the almond tree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's how it works. We'll give our final thoughts on this tree and this seed, and then give it a rating of 0 to 10 golden Michelin cones of honor, uh, which we are shortening to golden cones of honor this yeah. season. It's uh, strictly for space. And Michelin spelled M-I-S-H-I-L-I-N. <laughs> Trademark symbol. Casey, as our resident expert, will begin with you. Yes. Okay. So I I have a couple thoughts on this tree. So uh, when I initially was trying to think of this this episode and how we were going to really present this information, which I usually present in a very scattered form that has no (laughs) specific uh, uh, trajectory, Uh and somehow you make it seem like I did, thank you. You're welcome. I decided to make a list, and I I made uh, the good Look at you. Yeah, yeah. The almond is one of the oldest and most popular nuts, in quotes, because, of course, it is, in fact, in not a nut. Yes. Uh, I also said it's fun because it's uh, unknown history. We look back in time and we see this shrouded mist over where it came from. Right. But we do know that there was probably some drunkard out there just drinking a bunch of wine, unwatered down, <laughs> and just popping in these things. And they're just like, man, my stomach hurts. I should drink less. And everyone's like, no, you stop eating those poisonous things until Finally, they were like, oh my God, they're, he, somehow they found this one delicious nut. Yeah. I love that history of it. I also uh, like that it is a more efficient use of water as compared to like alfalfa. So ultimately, it's not the worst use of, of our land. They're big, long-lived trees. They're also sequestering just a little bit of carbon, you know, things like that. And they have pretty flowers. 
I like that they, uh, yeah. they had those pretty flowers. And so people were like, well, maybe the first reason that we even started cultivating them was that we thought they were pretty, so we started planting them in our garden areas or cultivating them if they grew themselves. And then every now and then a little nut would fall and someone would try and be like, no, still bad. Right. You know, I don't know. But that was the good things. I thought that was kind of a fun way that they kind of have entered into our, our cultural uh, thing. They were found in uh, King Tut, Tutankhamun. That's his name. Can you take that again? Uh, King King Tut, uh, King Tutankhamun, Tutankhamun, Tutankhamun. He was also actually he really was. I mean, he was a king, but it was a pharaoh was the term. So right. Anyway, pharaoh Tutankhamun found uh, some almonds that uh, that he took with him to the afterlife. Wow, uh, most likely special. Yeah. Otherwise, the bad thing they use a lot of water. Still, they use like ten percent of all the agricultural water in the entire state of California. Yeah, which is crazy. And if you want to hear like a, a things about that, we're not even gonna get into it, Alex. Uh, they need bees. They need a lot of bees, and they have co-opted bees in a way that is just like literally turning them into little robots until they die. Yeah, they're the Amazon of trees, Alex. And I don't Got know it. how I feel about that. I don't like that they can't grow up here. I think they're fine uses. Uh, as a tree, they're good. Six point zero. Wow, a nice solid yes. six point zero. A nice solid six point zero because they're you know they're fine as a tree. The nuts delicious. Yeah, they're great. The way we get them, maybe there's a little asterisk on top of that for sure. Um, aside from that though, they're fine. They're good. I like the nut. Sorry, six point three for the nut, which is a seed. Okay. However. I like that they're a curmudgeon little little thing otherwise. 6.1.5. Okay. Golden cones of Michelin stars honors. <laughs> what a mess. <laughs> this show sucks. This is the worst show ever. Almonds suck. Casey, I don't know. I think the almond is okay uh, as a tree, as a seed, mm-hmm. as a nut. I'm going to call it a, culinarily, it's a nut. I think that's fair. Uh, I love almonds. Okay. I, I, eat, an, I eat an almond every day. What? I, I I can I always have a bag of almonds really? or a little tin of almonds in my cupboards. Do you like them roasted? Sure. Mm. Give me give me an almond in any form, like any flavor powder on them. What down? I love to I love to roast my own almonds and make my own flavored almonds. Okay, you almonds are so good, and they make the house smell amazing when you mm. roast them. All right. So I'm I'm really I'm really torn because I don't. Uh, almond trees seem a little villainous. Yeah. Uh, the almond, however, is so delicious. Mm. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. We're in. We're in a. We're in a similar area here. I'm going six point six. Do you think they should be planted as specimen trees in front yards? That's not a bad idea. Okay. Because they're okay. beautiful. Yeah. That's. I mean, they're. You know, they they had that sort of nondescript utility bark, whatever. Yeah. But they do flower for a few days. Yep. A year. Uh. And you could make, you know, actually, no, I take it back. No, I don't think it is a good specimen. No tree. specimen tree. No. 6.6, but no specimen. Yes. 6.6, no specimen tree. Strictly on the, in the, the side of your yard. No stump of approval. Overgrown by some other tree. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I think they're best in a, in a grove. Ah, yes. In an orchard. Yeah. That was our review of the almond tree. Mm-hmm. Casey, it's time for a segment Casey, when tree news breaks, there's only one source completely arbitrary turns to, and that is the Fungal Associated Press. Good evening, everyone. 
I'm Alex Croson. And I'm Casey Clapp. Our top story tonight comes from LiveScience.com forward slash origin hyphen of hyphen landlocked hyphen mangrove hyphen forest hyphen Mexico. Casey. Thanks, Alex. I sent you this article uh, a few days ago, and it's very interesting and very intriguing. This is uh, titled, Mysterious Mexican Mangrove Forest is, quote, trapped in time, hundreds of miles from the coast. According to the article, Casey, it says it has been hiding away for 125,000 years. Oh, my God. I love Casey, it. have you read this article? I have read this article, Alex. I have also read this article. Uh, what do you think? Let's 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 do a little breakdown of what happened here. A mangrove mangle was found hundreds of miles from any saltwater. Casey, this is a freshwater mangrove mangle. This is the big breaking news to yes, me. Yes, you're right. Uh, Rhizophora mangle, the red mangrove, only grows in saltwater, or so mm-hmm. we thought. Or so we thought. Until we found this 150,000-year-old uh, uh, mangle of red mangroves growing in freshwater. Yes, not only that, but it's, it is landlocked, so it's actually inside an area that has no access. It's several miles away and several feet above yes. sea level. Yeah, which it's means, 30 feet above sea level. Yeah, which is, is stunning because you're like, well, how do these trees even get here number one number two how did they survive right so essentially what they did is they went through and said well uh you know where these trees come from then they figured that out they said okay if the trees are about this you know where they separated from their other kin about one hundred twenty-five thousand years ago where were the seas one hundred twenty-five thousand years ago and it turns out that that was in the interglacial period between the uh the last two ice ages or is at the very end of an interglacial period, um, which essentially means that the ice was at such a uh, certain level that those sea levels were at a different level also. Right. So at this point where the uh, the existing interior grove is, that used to be a coastline. Yes, that's so fascinating. That was so that. fucking long ago, too. Yeah, it's a long time. It was way before people were hanging around, at least looking at these mangroves. Yeah. So, but it's kind of stunning that they're still there. Apparently, that they almost got destroyed by a development. Right, and but they adapted to living exactly in fresh water. Oh, I think that's probably the coolest thing is that these trees are. I mean, this is like the the classic um, evolution, right? Where everything's exactly the same, but. This one big geological thing happens. It cuts off this uh, one grove, and then they adapt for whatever reason, however they do. Now, if you just keep on letting this happen, now these genes are just within their own little population. Mm -hmm. If you give it another, say, million years, you might find yourself with an individual species of freshwater mangroves that only grow in this area. Right. Then you got to figure out, well, how do they disperse? And then they might have some new mechanism that develops that then they can find a way to move around and actually propagate themselves in other places around uh, different freshwater ecosystems. Sure. I think that is fascinating. The other thing, Alex, this uh, this article notes is that there's other species of animals. Yes, they got caught in there, like turtles and all these other fish and things that normally would be on the coast that now are inside this landlocked area. This was my favorite revelation from yeah. the article that there are there's a little ecosystem there. It's like an impossible ecosystem. Yeah, like these things should be in salt water, mm-hmm. and here they are. It's you know what it, you know what it's like, Casey. What this is like. 
This is like, I mean, it's it's almost like literally like time traveling. Yeah, we can, yes. you can walk into this mangle, and it's like you're time traveling because this. I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but like this is a this is all these plants and animals are from a different time. Yeah, the different time, different place. That's yeah. so crazy. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. It's yeah, it is a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. But now this is what news should be. I love when news is like this, where everyone's like, hey, we figured out this really interesting thing that's very fascinating. Yeah. And here's how we know. And uh so the botanist who uh I guess discovered this mm-hmm. this anomaly yeah. is named Carlos Borello and Carlos said, I used to fish here and play on these mangroves as a kid, but we never knew precisely how they got there. That was the driving question that brought the team together. So I love the idea that this this guy was like, oh, yeah, we never put that together. <laughs> like, why the yeah. fuck are all these trees here that should be uh, 50 learn. miles that way? I love that. And that also is nice that he, as a, as a child, um, has created his future and that he had a childlike question yeah. that he never quite thought about but he had a good time playing on these trees and then he's like oh I gotta figure this out now it's like an origin story yeah it totally is that's all we have for this edition of Fungal Associated Press I'm Alex Croson and I'm Casey Clapp until next time good night and good luck Casey, it's time for our completely arbitrary Q and A. Hard switch. This week's question is from Giselle Luna. Giselle asks, hello, Casey and Alex. Hello, Casey and Alex. Hi there. I'm starting to fall apart. Yeah. Well, we've been doing this for five hours so far. There's a video going around on Twitter of an uprooted tree that fell onto a house. Link here. We'll post that on our uh, website. And it seems to have taken the surrounding sod with it as well. Mm-hmm. My question is, does the fact that the tree is planted in sod versus regular grass and soil make it easier for it to be uprooted? Sending peace and love from Texas, Giselle. What up, Texas? Casey, what do you think? That is, in fact, a good question. So sod is essentially grass. It's just grass that they um, plant as already done grown set up grass. Right. You're familiar with it, right? Yeah, they yeah, like yeah. Roll it out. It's like comes in rolls. Yeah, exactly. It's very strange. Um, so it's it, it's it's grass. You just have to let it uh, let it grow. The issue is um, usually when you get places like that or like new sod that's grown out um, is that when they put it in, they do a couple things to the ground first. They kill everything that's there, and then they put down a new layer of like compacted soil. I don't know why they do this. Like mm. it doesn't make any sense to me. They want it to be as flat and perfect as possible. So they put that down. It looks just about perfect. They actually compact it, which is the opposite that you want to do to grow anything in soil. Right. And then it, it needs it needs oxygen down there, right? Yeah, exactly. You need oxygen and pore space for water and on air and things to go down. Oh, so, sure. And also so the roots can grow down. You know, if you're trying to push your fingers through a dried, like hard soil, it's gonna be a lot easier than if it's really airy and wet and moist that you can just kind of push your fingers right through. Yeah. So it's the same for roots. They have to work to get down there. So these little plants uh, get put on this little really hard compacted area and then they plant a tree in there. The tree roots will try to grow in the top two to three feet of soil, but they're going to grow wherever there are resources and wherever it's not too difficult to grow. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times that compacted soil layer makes it really hard again for the tree roots to grow down. So they try to put the roots down. They can't do it. So they just grow wherever it happens to be, you know, fairly easy while they keep working on it. And then they just never quite get their, uh, their new roots down into 
into the the deeper soil where they can really anchor themselves. Yeah. So then they all the roots are at the top. They have this nice big mat. They're interconnected with the the roots of the grass. Then the tree blows over because it didn't have a very good place to grow. And then you have all the grass come up with it because the tree roots grow really shallow at the top layer of soil, which is also where the grass is growing. So that's a weak foundation. You're kind of setting it. You're the tree up for uh, failure. Yeah, you're setting it up for failure. Yeah, Bummer. and that's you know if I if the tree's growing in a place that does not have a good amount of soil volume, both in depth and in width and space, mm-hmm. then the tree's just not going to do very well. And if it does do very well, it's just going to grow up and get as big as it can, and then in, inevitably it's just going to be this massive big thing with no foundation at all. Bummer. And if you plant it in the streets in like the planter strip area or in a landscape like this that's just completely not natural Mm -hmm. then uh, you end up getting the worst of everything where it's like compacted soil the soil is essentially the fill that they grubbed off of the road when they just decided that okay here's where the curb's going to be take all the rest of that stuff and throw it over in this little area between the curb and the property and then put a sidewalk over the top of that and then when you're done oh let's plant a tree and fill the top area with a little bit of dirt and then we're going to call it good I see looks good but it is in fact not good hmm. so the tree knows that and and though we can act like it looks nice the tree's just going to be like well i have no feet so as soon as a big wind comes which you know if there is a hurricane like is want to happen in some places of say eastern texas that's right then you get trees that are just going to topple over i don't know if this video takes place in texas yeah i see uh onto a house Let's see. Yeah. Morgan City, Los Angeles. Uh, Morgan City, Louisiana. I almost said Morgan City, ah. Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Louisiana. Yeah, so it's another uh, hurricane-prone oh, wow. area, right? Casey, you want to come take a look at this video? Yeah, in the video, it looks like the roots of this pretty tall tree go about a foot deep. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty tall tree, and it, it, there's no roots whatsoever that go down. Yeah. But yeah, so that, that poor thing is... Uh, um, that's just kind of a normal, I, that's, I would have expected that situation. It's a healthy tree with a horrible foundation, and it doesn't have any, um, any ability to go down. Um, so as opposed to if it was a tree growing in sort of a native soil area, which is very hard to find in a city, um, where there's you know grass that's been there for a long time, it's grown by seed, the soil isn't super compact, there's multiple different species. There's going to be a bunch of fungus. Then that tree will have a root system that's much more robust. Yeah. And then almost never, if it's a normal situation, will a tree get ripped down. But again, if you're in a hurricane or a tornado or like some really extreme weather event, you could have a literally flawless tree and it will still get knocked over if the amount of pressure that's getting pushed on it is just simply greater than the strength of that tree. Sure. So in this case, it doesn't appear that that's the case. It appears that there's a failure between the soil root interface because the roots could not develop a good uh, a good structure. Because they couldn't develop a good structure, the whole tree tipped over. But you'll notice there's not a single broken branch on that tree, and there's not a single broken stem. So the tree itself was perfectly strong. Mm. It was just planted in a tiny little, essentially, pot. And it just couldn't get big. It's a bummer. Yeah. Giselle, thank you so much for your question. Yes. If you have a question for Casey about trees, email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com. It's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y pod. Or you can follow us on Instagram at arbitrary pod we have lots of fun things happening there you can also join the patreon you can join the arboretum and get two bonus episodes a month about trees and other related topics or the cone of the month club and get a unique die cut sticker 
of a cone illustration done by an independent artist every single month, and they come in a cute little envelope, and it's a lot of fun. And this one is, Alex, stunning. This month's cone, which I think by the time this comes out will be last month's cone. Uh, No, this is uh, is episode four. This will be our last. Okay, so if you're listening to this and you've been on the fence about joining the Patreon. Now's the time. Now's the time. We have a Coulter Pine. It is enormous we're worried about fitting it in the envelopes we might have to order a different size but it's the biggest sticker we've ever made rightfully so for the biggest cone in the world casey clap alex croson what a beast of an episode this but has been an odyssey we finally did it we come home to our our wife married to another man yep and sometimes we just have to go back out on another ship we fought through a cyclops yes we found Sea nymphs. Mm-hmm. And we a Hydra? We, um, Fought a Hydra? We uh we're inside of a horse. Yep. And uh, it's been a you know, it's been a journey, is what we're trying to say. Okay. We're inside of a horse. <laughs> I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> oh my word. Casey, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Uh, it has been. And to you listening at home, thank you for listening to Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Save the bees. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 